try yeah, there's been a, a, a legal case, the Ashker case. Uh, that was a big settlement in California, uh, in the California prison system. And, um, you know, um, are you there, Vato? Okay, okay, so we, we, we got him here. And uh, how's the how's the volume? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Come on, yeah. Yeah, let's go Okay, okay, so let me get into this program because um, we, we spent some time trying to get you on. We got you on before uh, we end up uh, a little bit, yeah, let, before we... Um, before we lose you again, but let me let me just ask you a question uh, concerning the you know recent times um, you know the courts there's an Ashker lawsuit going on and um, we've been struggling with that for a long time you know the courts recently ruled again in the Ashker case that prisons need more oversight why do you think the prisons need oversight Vato? After uh, my own experience and uh, at the forefront of the prison struggle out here, it's been my uh, belief that the uh, prisons are like prisons, are like regimes. They all kind of operate on their own uh, using uh, massive force uh, for prisoner management and uh, especially some of the remote prisons where nobody uh, can have that oversight over the prison regime that the rank and file get pretty out of, pretty out of control and more or less uh, use corporal punishment, you know, and the brutality and other kind of unlawful methods by which to enforce their law. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and you know, this, this lawsuit, it's been in the, in the courts for some years now, and, you know, we continue to struggle with it, and, and, you know, we continue to support the prisoners. And, you know, um, I don't believe, you know, the people are going to get um, total victory from the courts anyways, but it's going to be through their own organizings. And, and we're seeing that happening with all these uh, lawsuits and, 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 and um, you know, the, the oversight, the ruling against the prisons. They're showing that, you know, these prisons, you know, they're um, not even following their own laws, not even following their own constitutional laws. So that's something that, um, you know, but, but, but let me let me get to this next question, because this is something, you know, I've been uh, talking about. Let me, let, me just, let me just add something to the Oscar case that uh, very, very recent and there's yet to be in, any implementation by the Department of Corrections to... Uh, see any of these uh, reforms through, but moreover was the case of Madrid versus Gomez, which was held here, uh, heard here in San Francisco in 1994, and we were the Pelican Bay Information Project at the time, and now that's been over 25 years, and Madrid versus Gomez has yet to be implemented mm. also. Yeah. And, and because of that first case, Madrid case, the whole thing about solitary confinement finally came to a head 25 years later with the filing of the Astor case. One was followed, one followed the other, but it took 25 years. Yeah, and then there was also the Castillo case, which is another one that never um, really um, got anything got really, problem. yeah. It's horrible. You know, the courts, you know, they, they, they offer these little crumbs and, and you know, 
but um, you know, it, it's good to see that um, the prisons are going to have more oversight because they need more over oversight. But um, you know, besides that, I know the people are going to continue to struggle in there, whether there's oversight or not. But um, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But let me ask you, Vato, you know, a lot of listeners are, you know, they're, they're um, you know, they want to know, you know, you're a big part of history and the prison struggles and the prison movement. And uh, can you give some background on a very important case that you were a, a part of, uh, the San Quentin Six case? Well, briefly, like you say, it's history 40 years ago. And um, at that time, uh, at San Quentin, there was a prison rebellion at the Adjustment Center, and Comrade George Gaxon and uh, several other uh, uh, prison guards and uh, inmates uh, were slain, and that uh, there was only 26 other prisoners in the cell block at the time. And six of those prisoners, including myself, were indicted on a 94 uh, joint felony count indictment spread over six defendants. And I was one of those thankfully six defendants. And uh, it was a showcase trial, basically, you know, uh, and it was never really, really resolved who exactly killed who including George Jackson, there was uh, the longest um, criminal uh, case in California at that time. And the case is called Bingham et al. And the name Bingham comes from the attorney who supposedly, allegedly, uh, furnished George Jackson with a gun, and which he brought back to the adjustment center, and then uh, that was supposed to have... Uh, set off this rebellion, so the case was called Bingham et al., and I was one of the et al's, the kind of like the random six prisoners, I think probably the most uh, political prisoners inside the Justice Center are so-called revolutionaries, we called ourselves revolutionaries in the spirit of Che Guevara and Ho Chi Minh at that time, and so we were indicted, like I said, and it got quite a bit of notoriety, but one thing I can say about notoriety, it does not work for anybody to their benefit. The notoriety that I uh, have been uh, um, overcome with, because I didn't choose to be a St. Quentin Six, but that notoriety has, in a sense, kept me at the forefront of struggling for prisoners and for human rights. Uh, behind uh, enemy lines and uh, for the imprisoned class, of which George Jackson really strongly believed in the imprisoned class, and so do I. Our prisoners deserve every single human right available to other people as well. Not just because they're confined does not limit their humanity, nor their uh, inherent right for humane treatment. Well, mm. Powerful words. And you know the you know I remember reading about the San Quentin Six and the and the uprising and um you know I gotta say you know as a prisoner uh, decades later reading about that struggle 
that um, it was a very inspirational struggle to see people who, you know, they, they you know, gave it their all and struggled as best that they could. And, um, and, 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 you know, to see the state, you know, tried to, you know, um, you know, basically set them up and, and, and with trumped up charges and, um, you know, and, and, and massive cover up for the things that they did that, that, that day. And, and, you know, but, um, you know, it's a huge part of prison history. It's a part of, you know, uh, the prison movement. You know, we, we heard about Attica. Many listeners have heard about Attica, um, which reacted um, in, in this way after the, you know, the murder of, of Comrade George Jackson as well. So this just, um, you know, it just triggered um, all kinds of uprisings all over. And it continues to uh, trigger uprisings within the prison system because people continue to draw off of that um that that time of struggle and um for those who you know gave the ultimate sacrifice for for freedom you know and and that's what it comes down to is freedom and that's what we all want is freedom but um yeah um and 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 so it's good that that you're out here and um you were able to you know um clear your name of the trumped up charges and you're here and it's a beautiful thing to have you on Free Aslan. I'm, I'm, you know, and I continue to learn uh, what I could from those struggles and from the future struggles as well uh, that we all face today. And um, but yeah, um, you know, yeah. Okay, if, I, if I can interject, that like you say, there's been many sacrifices, and at this point, I've seen it how we're talking about uh, my. Uh, comrades inside, uh, especially of the San Quentin Six. Gina Drumgo was one of the San Quentin Six uh, defendants, but also one of the uh, that brothers' defendants. So mm. he was right twice wow. in the adjustment center. It, it, and also, yeah. hello? Yeah, yeah. And also, Hugo um, Antonio Pinnell was also one of the San Quentin Six, and he was also killed at New Folsom by a setup uh, August the 12th, uh, 2015, just very, very recently, after serving nearly 50 years of imprisonment. Mm. And uh, so that the San Quentin Six are down to, I think, three of us now, you know, and mm. so there's been a heavy a retribution and, a, and attrition against our, uh, the symbolism in which we represent the legacy of our comrades George Jackson and other fallen comrades inside prison. And when we talk about revolutionaries, is that the revolutionaries inside prison do not really call themselves revolutionaries or even know they're revolutionaries. The thing is, is that they're resistance fighters and more so that keep the, uh, to keep the system from breaking them down. Mm. See, that's how you do in prison. That's what prison is. Being mm. a stand-up prison is all about. And that mm. makes you a revolutionary. If you don't put up resistance, as far as I can see, you're, you're a revolutionary, even though you might not be uh, politically educated in that term or other terms that are used inside prison or outside prison, but... Yes, there's been a lot of falling comrades over the years, and so uh, Ulo Antonio Pinal and Peter Gungo, my co-defendants, man, we send you all our solidarity at this time also for you. Mm. Yes, yes. And, and the Solidad Brothers, that was just another 
Um, that was another uh, resistance um, that people were going through. How, how, can you tell us a little bit about the Soledad brother case? Well, um, now that you're talking about it, the Soledad brothers were Peter Gumbo, George Jackson, and John Suchet. And uh, both Peter Gumbo and George Jackson, of course, are now uh, deceased. But John Couchet recently emerged from prison after 40 years. And as you were uh, there yourself at the time here at the Oscar Grand Plaza in Oakland, when we all kind of met up that particular day, the California prison focus had an event happening there at that square, at that park. And uh, looking across the uh, forum, I could see someone standing there, and he looked very, very familiar. And I went over, and he recognized me, and I recognized him, and it was mm. John Couchet, the last of the Solitaire brothers. Wow. So I just gotten out. Wow. Through the efforts, through the efforts now, there's yeah. a lot of positive legislation, and through the efforts of uncom- uncommon law, comrades in the East Bay, uh, Chief Wadley and his crew, who have, at this point, got hundreds of business. Wow. Yeah, you beautiful, know, beautiful. Expensive amount of time that they've done doing time for profit, right? right. And right. so we have a new system in California, thankfully, today, that is going to pass some legislation to let some of these prisoners who've been in 40, 30, 40, 50 years, mm. to let them come out, mm. you know, and to do, a, to do away with a life without parole kind of thing also, you know, so... Yeah. You know, it's basically like uh, they've been doing this for, you know, centuries, gladiator fights. And that's basically, but they've been doing it in the, in the U.S., uh, in the California prison system, in the U.S. prison system for a long time. And, and it's never stopped. Um, I remember it. You know, they did it to me, you know. Um, I've seen it happen throughout the year. I've never been uh, somewhere where they didn't do a gladiator fight. So 
they always do gladi. It's just now it's an increasing um, uh, gladi. They're increasing the gladiator fights, but they've always had them, and it wasn't just in Corcoran Shoe that got a lot of publicity. But it was throughout the prison system. Um, they've been doing it, and 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 when they're not doing gladiator fights, they're just putting people in cells together that they know or they're going to have conflict and, you know, people die and get hurt. And that's just, you know, the state uh, repressing the prisoners. It, it's it's horrible. But, um, you know, speaking of prisoners and political prisoners, you know, we talked about the San Quentin Six, the Soledad Brothers political prisoners um, who are resisting and, and, you know, being persecuted for resistance. But, you know, it, it's, it's funny because America claims it has no political prisoners, and yet you were a political prisoner. Um, can you talk uh, about the political prisoners um, you did time with and that, you know, who may still be behind enemy lines? Well, that's another interesting uh, subject. Um, undefined because, once again, uh, we from outside recognize certain prisoners as being political but they themselves do not recognize themselves. They don't put labels on themselves like, oh, I'm a political prisoner, you know. Yeah. The way I've always handled that, like you say, the U.S. does not recognize political prisoners. The way I've always thought is that you have an imprisoned class, and they decide who is political and who is not. Mm. The majority of prisoners don't want to be political. They don't want to be revolutionary. They don't want to be a reformist or, you know, they're, they're criminals, career criminals, and they're going to be criminals. You know, that's, that's yeah. their lifestyle, you know. Lumping. What they choose, what they, what they can't stand to see is someone come along and say, oh, I'm different than everybody, I'm a political prisoner. Yeah. Right? So that reveals itself in prison, because in prison you cannot hide anything. So let me tell you a quick interesting story about Leonard Peltier. Mm. When he was arrested and, and extradited, I think, in Canada and brought here and put in Leavenworth, that when he got in Leavenworth, everybody knew about him already. And the word quickly spread that he was fighting for his people. Mayor Peltier was fighting for his nation, mm. you know? And that the prisoners themselves in Leavenworth formed a circle around him that he was unaware of, a circle of other people, supporters, the people that was going to put some kind of uh, shield around him, make sure that people didn't mess with him because he was young, mm. you know? And uh, my friend uh, Raul Salinas, a great comrade who was there at Leavenworth at the time, told me, Mato, that Mato, he was talking about Larry, he said, that Mato, man, you know, he was like, you could tell there was an aura of spirituality around him, you know, of a youth fighting for his people, an idea that somebody that believed in the struggle and somebody who could be punished and paid for what they said he did, which he never did, you know. Yeah. The story is that they're about to in prison right now. They're supposedly killing two FBI agents that the FBI agents did. Yet he didn't really kill, but he knows who did or he yeah. allowed them. They were killed on the reservation, right? Yeah. And then if Peltier, he himself is like, hey, he don't go around saying that he's a political prisoner, but in fact, we recognize him as a political prisoner. On the other hand, I believe that everybody inside prison who's a jailhouse lawyer who's helping for the prisoner, Absolutely. I believe they're political too. Absolutely. 
And there's one other irony about this whole thing about political prisoners, because I believe there's tens of thousands of political prisoners mm. in there that are rebelling, that are resisting, they're fighters, they're not going to be broken, they're not going to cross the debriefer line. That's why debriefers and stitches are so uh, despised everybody, even the guards who use them, man, they're pretty mm. spies, right? But let me yeah. tell you one interesting story about the United States government at one time, all oh, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, did have to admit that there was one political prisoner in America, and his name was Manuel Noriega. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Started a war, went to Panama, and got my first son, Yaga, put him in active, wow. in the United States, and this was a duly elected president of a country. Wow. He brought Manuel Yaga to, to Florida and put him in prison. Mm. And for the purpose of the court record, they had to recognize him as uh, not only a political prisoner, but an ex president mm. of the Republic of Panama. Freedom for liberation was real then, and the same causes today are 
as real as they're ever going to be, and we are revolutionaries from that period to this period and continue to be so, and put up as much resistance as we can. Mm. So we have that. Mm. Back to you. Beautiful. Yeah, and I would just add to that that, uh, you know, I've always said that, you know, all of these uh, thousands of um, people, they had uh, validated under these quote-unquote gang validation of political prisoners as well because they didn't commit no physical crimes. They didn't commit any kind of physical act to be placed in the torture chamber, solitary confinement for years, decades. And they were placed there uh, under a gang label, a false gang label. And um, basically they were housed there for thought crimes. For even, you know, even if they were a part of a gang, they didn't commit no physical acts. So they're being um, um, persecuted for their beliefs. And to me, that's a political prisoner. So I believe that all the thousands who were held in solitary confinement uh, over the years were all political prisoners. And, you know, we, we continue to struggle because they still have the shoes open. They still have solitary confinement. And, you know, we, we, we still have political prisoners as well um, in those shoes. So we got to keep struggling for them. But, um, you know, we talked, we, yeah, we talked a little yeah, we, we talked a little bit about the gladiator fights. We talked about, you know, um, you know, and they're increasing the gladiator fights. And I just want to touch a little bit more on that, um, you know, and how they do that. So just to hear a little bit more, what are your thoughts on CDCR's recent uh, increasing the gladiator fights where they're mixing the SNY, the PC, and general pop prisoners? What do you, what do you think about that? Why are they doing that? Let me go there. Okay, before we tackle this one here, because uh, I have a lot to say about what's happening right now with the integration of the ice, but let me get back one step back for political prisoners. And we mustn't forget the large concentration camps that have been formed for the so-called immigrantes. All these people and mm. their families and their children, they're spread out all over the Southwest and recently here in Alameda County. The federal judge passed an injunction because they stay, they're saying that even the, in our backyard here, there's uh, concentration camps where they're all full of immigrants that have never been charged with anything except seeking freedom and liberation mm. and a better way of life and who have come to America. There's literally tens of thousands of uh, people, you know, mostly Latino people that, you know, are um, clearly, you know, political. Mm. And we mustn't forget uh, their internment and their uncertain future. And this has been going on for 20, 30 years, you know. It's an industry has been built on the incarceration of of so-called immigrants, and anybody that, you know, America wants to put in prison and profit from it too, you know, it's got the biggest uh, prison empire in the world. Mm. Yes, yes. But getting back to your other question about what's taking place right now at, um, since the beginning of the year was this integration of the, uh, say, like we said earlier, is that the... Prison administration has accumulated too many prisoners and has uh, practiced divide and conquer tactics for oh forever. That's what it's been 
regimes in themselves have made sectors or territories or levels of uh, custody and division wherever they could do it. Right? They caused so much division among the prisoners. Uh, and administrative segregation, that's an institution. At Seg is an institution. They've been segregated, separating prisoners uh, for like forever, you know. And what happened finally now is because of a lot of court rulings, the court could say, look, you've been doing this too long, you can't do that no more. You have to integrate prisoners, right? So then all of a sudden, the prison regimes are saying, okay, the courts are forcing us to integrate these yards. But that's not true. No. The thing is, you cannot integrate a yard if it poses a danger to anybody. You cannot do that. First and foremost is the safety of prison. Yeah. So not just staff. The foremost correction uh, maxim is, you know, security, but also safety. Uh, they pay it big on security, but that also means safety. So what are they doing? We're just going through this together to see what happens because it's to their advantage to keep the public mind uh, focused on, oh, violence at this prison, violence at that prison, you know, uprising over here, riots over here. The public starts getting kind of shaky and the public starts saying, you know what, give them all the money they need to quell the riots, to quell the... Uh, Inmates, you know, subdued, uh, subdued the prisoners, you know, and tame them. Mm. And so it gives the Department of Corrections uh, a bloated budget, and that has in recent times been threatened now. You know, they're slimming down on a lot of corrections stuff. And the corrections people who run the prisons, the prison press, have just lost half of their pro prison base with the ouster of all these pro-prison politicians, especially from the Central Valley, San Joaquin, where all the prisons are built. Those were all Republican strongholds. Mm. And uh, prison, prison regimes uh, and the district attorney, they were all in the pocket of the prison press because the prison press, the uh, Department Corrections has the biggest uh, spending bill uh, billions of dollars annually, I think it's 14 billion a year now, mm. you know, in the state budget. <clears throat> and they dis they distribute all this money to all these, uh, you know, pro-prisoner, uh, pro-prison politicians who got ousted by Democrats. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> There's that dilemma now is if there's eight more years of progressive people's legislation going down in Sacramento, thank God for that, man, because it's been real, real bad before that with the three, three strike stuff and the maximum minimum laws. Those were all hateful laws. They didn't do anything but increase the prison population. They had nothing to do with rehabilitation. Mm. So we're looking towards rehabilitation by uh, programming. And the families and the wives, they have been so courageous to come out into the public forum and to protest at the prison where these violent uh, interactions are taking place, are being um, manipulated on the yards of the prison so that there is like two sort violence, you know. So the mixing the wrong explosives, I believe, for the purpose of getting a lot of support, public support, and the belief that all 
the few rights they have in there. Yeah. They don't have many rights that they have left in there. They've been stripped of everything, you know. So they're fighting for a few scraps that retain, that they retain, and one of them is a little bit of self-dignity, you know. Uh, uh, a little bit of like, you know, you don't want to uh, have informer spies and snitches imposed on us almost like it almost sounds like um the prisons are turning um snitches into foot soldiers for them but 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 anyway they 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 have these meetings um every month in sacramento at the state capitol what days are what or where can we find the information about that you mentioned that before well that's being uh organized by a group in the south i think it's called the youth center Mm. I think we've spoken that before. But it's online. I mean, they're um, protesting down around like uh, Salinas Valley, Pennant mm. Valley, Avenal, Wasco, some of those mm. Tracy, some of those prisons, outlying prisons where, in fact, um, there is a daily incident, almost a daily incident, of integrated yards being uh, uh, explosive. You know, wow. they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're blowing up, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, and there's uh, guards shooting people. Wow. A lot of people have gotten shot. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, organizations are online, just, you know, at uh, our uh, website is www.prisons.org. Um, That's where California Prison Focus is. Hmm. And we have a lot of information there. But also, as you can, as you know, recently we had the article in the Bayview newspaper here in San Francisco that you were part of. Yeah. And also, Bayview newspaper is a good site by which uh, a lot of these other groups can be contacted and where people can uh, find out more about what's actually happening behind enemy lines. Mm. And Bayview is an excellent paper. I, I read it. Um, I used to look forward to it. I love Bayview, the prison focused newspaper, and they always have that uncut news, and uh, you can see what's going on on prisons. But you know, um, you know, to continue talking about prisons, you know, um, you know, they're they're torturing prisoners right now through something called sleep deprivation. So you know, uh, I know you talked about sleep deprivation before. Some of our listeners don't know what that is. So, what exactly are prisons doing that deprives uh, prisoners of sleep? Well, the program's called Guard One, and it was implemented by the Department of Correction um, after the massive United hunger strike of which you were part of uh, five years ago or so. It was very, very successfully uh, executed because prisoners were in touch with each other, were organizing uh, at different prisons across the state, and they 
is ever reported for inside a prison. Mm. And um, they put their lives on the line. But this was uh, done by prisoners who already had very, very few other options. They already had been in prison 20, 30 years in the security housing unit. Uh, some were even in there for about 40 years at the Pelican Bay. And so um, they were at their end of their last straw. They're like saying, well, what can we do? He said, well, they put their lives on the line. They really did. They believed that they might not survive. Mm. And uh, I think there was a few deaths during that time because mm. it was statewide. The hunger strike was, you know. Yeah. And so after that successful uh, hunger strike and that, that became the Asker case, um, that uh, settled some of the issues, the aftercase settled some of the issues in court because the courts finally realized that solitary confinement is torture. Long-term solitary confinement leaves a lot of lasting mental illnesses and scars. So it's not the court, it's the, the experts play 30 years realize this what the prisoners but, but what the prisoners already knew because they were experiencing that so yeah. now these uh, former hunger strike leaders are all spread out across the prisons in California and isolated and likewise other prisoners uh, in the security housing unit or the so-called resistors the main resistors the so-called uh, leaders inside are being put through sheet deprivation or the guard one program because that uh, prison administration, the prison crisis, Dr. Camaro said, well, uh, things are so bad, we might have to implement a program so that the prisoners don't commit suicide. So, guard mm. one is a program that is supposed to prevent suicide by which Prisoners are woken up every half hour along the clock, day in, day out. And this has been going on for four years. And there's yeah. a couple of lawsuits out there, but the court seems to be allowing it, you know, knowing that uh, sleepless prisoners did not do much harm or much damage to anybody. It's just like, you know, they're just completely disoriented. And some of the attorneys have gone and talked to some of these prisoners and gotten out that. The prisoners can barely stay awake. I mean, during an interview, they're like disoriented and uh, they can't remember, they don't have memories or anything. It's hundreds of, it, of uh, prisoners that this is being done to, and it's spread across the country because the lawsuits have not been able to stop it. The courts are kind of like uh, allowing it to happen, mm. you know. And so that's, that's where that's at. It's clearly it's torture. Absolutely. Of the worst kind, you know, it's, uh, it's like there's some kind of uh, laboratory experimentation mm. on prisoners. Yeah. And a lot of prisoners are not being able to stand up for it and, in fact, mm. are committing suicide. We understand there's been several prisoners who just been taking them up and just went out of their mind, you know, and uh, mm. they hung themselves or something. They just could not stand being woken up mm. every half hour. Now, I recall when I was inside that you did have to show skin, yeah. which means as long as you 
regard that comes by and flashes the light on you. Yeah. You don't have to move or anything. You, know, you don't have to wake up, but you got to have some skin showing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so now it's not that. And now the dark same center rattles your bargain. So you get some kind of movement, he wakes you up. Oh, yeah. He's waking you up so you don't commit suicide. That's the most absurd kind of submission I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and they bang the keys on the doors, and they kick the doors with their boots, and they bang the doors, the side doors. I remember they put me next to the side door uh, after uh, getting out of the shoe. I remember being next to the side door, and every half hour, they'll come and slam that side door shut like a gunshot. Sound like a twenty-two gunshot going off every half hour. I jump up. Like, oh man, what the hell's going on out here? You know, so I, I, I remember yeah, it. It was just torture, you know, it was uh it's torture, it's horrible. It's yeah, and speaking yeah, of Yeah. Yeah, no, speaking of torture, you know, we we seen sixty minutes, we seen uh even Oprah came out talking about torture, uh mentioning solitary you know, solitary confinement. So I wanted to ask you, you know, you were in solitary as well. So, you know, um, why do you think prisons are using methods of torture like solitary? Well, once again, it's a control mechanism is to manage a large body of prisoners. Uh, that they use these drastic measures to weaken you, to sap you of your energy and your strength, um, to actually spread the word that there's no toleration for any kind of uh, individualism inside prison. You know, you're no longer an individual, you're state property, and they treat you like that. And uh, you don't ever want to show uh, your handlers or your slave masters that you know too much, you know, especially if you're helping other prisoners with their legal cases and stuff like mm. that, you know, they put those people out of reach, you know, so nobody yeah. can get their help, you know, and so torture, I think, is a product of power abuse, and let me say something about power, because I've never really had any power, you know, oh. we're like the power, we're <laughs> 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 power over <laughs> Man, they make it, you know, a game, 
I want to make this prisoner over here do what I want, and, you know, try to corrupt him and try to get him to roll over and debris. And mm. so there's a lot of guys working in the prison system, I think, prides himself on having both these prisoners now and got them to become snitches. I think that's a big plus for anybody working in the Department of Corrections wanting to advance himself, and he's got to have that management skills where he shouldn't get a prisoner, mm. you know, to uh, inform. Yeah. Well, I think so that, that, that... That only comes with pressure and torture, and so, you know, people that can't take that pressure and torture, you know, they succumb to, you know, all kind of, you know, things happening to them inside, you know, including being used by the prison regime, you know, so um, they're managed prisoners, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. an ugly aspect of imprisonment, you know. It's not all like, you know, uh, roses and stuff. It's not all like, you know, romanticism or something. It's like, you know, prisoners are all in prison for a reason, you know, and the guys are all there to keep you secure, uh, keep you, know, keep you yeah. down, keep you in jail, keep you behind bars, you know, and that's what it's about. It's that kind of uh, relationship you have. There's nothing friendly about it. you got to understand that. You understand, I understand it. Yeah, and it, re- it reminds me a lot of the reading about the plantations and how, you know, the slave master manipulated slaves. They had slaves, um, some uh, informing and snitching on other slaves, and they just, they just, uh, they have that same behavior they're employing on the prisoners. But, you know, we're getting short on time here, and uh, I wanted to squeeze in one last question for you. And, um, you know, this question is in regards to the Chicano Nation. And I just wanted to, you know, um, hear from you what your ideas were. Um, why do you think, um, you know, or do you think, you know, what? why do you think, uh, uh, hello, Bato? Oh, we lost Bato. Okay, so I'll just ask the question myself. I was going to ask Bato, uh, you know, concerning the Chicano Nation. Um, you know, I was going to ask him, you know, why does the Chicano Nation, um, you know, why does the Chicano Nation um, need self-determination? And, um, oh, I think I got him back on here. Uh, let me see. Bato, are you on there? Bato. Okay. Okay. So the last question, because we have uh, about three minutes. I wanted to ask you on the Chicano Nation, um why do you think, or does the Chicano Nation deserve self-determination? Exactly, and the first thing that needs to be done is the implementation of the Guadalupe Hidalgo Treaty of Annexation and Seizure of Mexican Lands by the U.S. imperialists. And that is all formally offshore, and so um, the United States has to recognize that uh, when they seize this land, they do not... They did not see the people that were there, and that is our people who were there and still here. And so that is the Chicano Nation in bondage. Mm. And, uh, a great fighter for the Chicano Nation, of course, was Corky uh, Gonzalez, or Hopo Corky Gonzalez. Mm. I have here of his words. I'm going to read that, okay? Yes, yes. I am Joaquin, I rode with Pancho Villa, crude and warm, and 
series are inspired by the passion and the fire of all his earthly people. I ride with revolutionaries against myself. I have been the bloody revolution, the victor, the vanquished. I have killed and been killed. I am the despot Diaz and Huerta and the apostle of democracy, Francisco Madera, Chicano, or whatever I call myself. I look the same. I feel the same. I cry and sing the same. I am the masses of my people, and I refuse to be absorbed. I am walking. The odds are great, but my spirit is strong, my faith unbreakable. I shall endure. I will endure. Rest in peace, Gary Gonzalez. Offline rising. Mmm, beautiful. Tierra y libertad. Okay, uh, okay, Vato, we're running out of time here, but... I just wanted to thank you for coming on to Free Islam, and um, I know the listeners got a lot of history. They learned a lot from this interview, and um, I just want to thank you for um, for your struggles. I want to thank you for um, continuing to be an inspiration to uh, future generations who are struggling, resisting uh, the empire, and who continue to struggle for a free Islam. And um, I also want to give a little shout out to the the brothers and sisters down in, uh, in Radio Justice down in Los Angeles who are playing Free Aslan as well. So we'll be broadcasting out there as well. So, and I just want to say uh, thank you once again, Vato. And and if anybody wants to get a hold of Vato, um, you know, to learn more about what's going on, you can reach him at Vato Vato on Facebook. And um, you just go on there, friend request them, and, um, you know, go from there. And uh, do you have any last words, uh, Bato, for the listeners? Well, just to remember that uh, we have hundreds of thousands of people behind uh, enemy lines, and uh, they are all but forgotten unless we ourselves, the Pueblo, remember them. So, Aslan Rising, Ohio, hasta la victoria. Mm, eso. Okay, and this is KEXU 96.1 FM LP, and uh, you're listening to Paul People's Revolutionary Radio. Uh, once again, if anybody wants to make a donation, we're in the middle of our winter drive, fun drive. So if anybody wants to uh, make a donation, contact poormagazine.org and keep programs like Free Aslan going. Uh, and, you know, um, this was a beautiful show today, and I just want to thank you all. And uh, don't forget, Free Aslan.